Thank you for the music and for the scripture. I'm going to read one more portion of scripture that we normally associate with a Christmas scripture. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. So in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called Nazarene. I entitled this message for us this morning, well, I have two options. You can tell me which one's better. The first one is a boring obedience or the space between. And what I was thinking about when I read this scripture is you know, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary first and gives amazing, uh, news is a pale word to use for what actually happened, but the, but the announcement the, and, and, and just the, the amount of impact that what the angel Gabriel was saying to Mary has impacted everyone since then. It's been amazing what, what that was. But then the angel Gabriel didn't speak to her again. She had that one big moment. And then now we have Joseph, and he gets the angel coming to him saying, yes, take Mary, then yes, go to, Beth, uh, to, to, to Egypt, and yes, leave Egypt, and then he doesn't speak again. And so my take is that I prefer for the angel of the Lord to speak to me every single day <laughs> and say, today you're doing this. Okay, yes, sir. According to your word, let it be to me. But that space between the times when God speaks to us is the part I wanted to think about. Because what I, as we come to the end of a year, I, I have a list of things that I want to look at and, uh, every year. And I say, well, these are my callings that God has given me. These are the giftings. These are the resources. This is what is in my life right now. These are the people that are in my life right now. What is this next year supposed to look like? Is, is there something I need to know? Do I just kind of roll along and go with whatever happens? Or is there something that I, where I need to take a stand? Because Joseph, when the angel comes and says, leave, he leaves in the night. Takes the baby, takes Mary, goes to Egypt. 
And I, when I think of what we sometimes call a, you know, when you have that moment when the angel appears and says, go do this or go do that, that's exciting. That's awesome. That's, you know, that we love those moments. Those are, we call them mountaintop experiences. I'm, personally, I'm beginning to want to switch the mountaintop with the valley because at the top of the mountain, all the view below you is flattened. It's not as pretty as it is down in the valley. Um, there's not as much oxygen up there. There's rain and hail and just bad atmosphere up there. And so personally, I don't like the mountaintop nearly as much as I like the valley, the canyon, the beautiful scenery. I can see the mountain from here. And so I'm beginning to think in my life, I will have valley experiences and it means something good. So, <laughs> however, in the traditional sense, the mountaintop experience is the one where, where, where we look at it and we say, wow, I had such a great weekend. It was a mountaintop for me in my spiritual walk. And it is true. We don't like say, I'm going to go climb a valley. Like we don't, we don't talk about it. We, we make an event out of climbing a mountain. So there is something to that. However, we have all of, in our own life, we have the space in between. I remember as a child, I would read books and I'd be like, wow, all these people have exciting things happening all the time. And my mom pointed out, yeah, but they don't write the boring bits. Like they don't write and then they got up and made their bed and then they went down and cooked oatmeal and ate breakfast. They don't write all of that stuff. They only write the exciting parts. That's why, I mean, you know, we wouldn't want them to write the other. I mean, we'd have this huge book and somewhere in there would be the actual story parts. In fact, if you write every little thing, I, I think of um, when, the, when I first watched The Hobbit a couple of years ago, I never finished the trilogy because I started watching the first one thinking it was The Hobbit, not knowing it was part of a three-part trilogy. And so I'm slogging through every battle and it just keeps being on and on and on and they keep fighting. I'm like, they'll never, they're never gonna make it. This, there's still all these other stories that need to happen and we're not moving the story forward. And I was getting really bored with all the battles and I'm like, can they just stop with it already? And then Stacy says, yeah, it's a trilogy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> they could have already told this whole story and they didn't. So I'm like, you know what? I'll stick with the book. So I haven't even finished The Hobbit ever. So I like the book, the movie, when someone takes the three and edits it down to make it just be the story, then I'm good, I'll watch it. Until then, yeah. So, so that's, you know, even if, the, if they try to make the boring bits exciting, it's still the boring bits. And so I'm looking at the life of Joseph and Mary here. They're headed down to Egypt. And okay, so let's just, you know, put it into perspective for us. Um, well, like Ralph and Laurie, you guys just moved and you went somewhere else and then you came back. And you say, oh yeah, that was a walk in the park. I'd do that again any day. No, you don't say that. Why not? Because it's not a walk in the park to just up and move. So if you think an angel of the Lord comes to you tonight and you're like, wow, an angel of the Lord. And then the angel says, I want you to move to Mexico for a couple of years and then come back. You're like, yay, that's going to be great. I love it. But then when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I have to worry about the official, the legal papers so I can go over there. There's all of this other stuff I have to do. And then I have to physically decide what am I taking with me? Now for Joseph and Mary, it was fortunate because they had already been traveling. So they already had made that decision what is with them and what they're going to take along. And so, but still the, the amount of work that it takes to obey one simple word of the Lord, go to Egypt, 
You say, wow, I wish an angel would speak to me. And Joseph says, think again. Do you know what all I had to do? And if you go to Egypt today, the Coptic church there will tell you, oh, when Joseph and Mary were here, they stayed in this place and they stayed in that place and they stayed in this. There's like 16 different places where there's churches built where church tradition says Joseph and Mary stayed here. Why would they stay in so many places? Well, how much money do you think Joseph had with him when he left to go down there? What kind of work do you think Joseph did down there? You think he just showed up and whoever the Pharaoh was said, okay, here's some money, sit at ease. I mean, he was disappearing in a people, which meant he had to be boring and get a job and provide for his wife. And I, I believe it that they might've stayed in 16 different places. There's, you know, at, at different times. There's a, and now I'm using the number 16 and I'm not exactly sure that's exactly precise. It was, a, it was more than, it was quite a few. It was over a dozen, okay? <laughs> and of course, it also makes a difference which, whether you go with the Coptic church or with the Catholic church, because the Catholic church also went and built some cathedrals over places where Joseph and Mary had stayed in Egypt. So there's now quite a few churches that say here or there, and some of it's conflicting. However, they had to live somewhere and they were down there. It wasn't just... Oh, we're going to go, you know, when we read it in the story, it's just a blip. They left and then they come back and we breathe a sigh of relief. How old is Jesus when they come back? It's a good question. Some people say he was two. Some people say he was eight. I don't know. I haven't gone and found the, the scrolls in Egypt that say how old he was when he was there. I don't know actually how old he was. Is this interesting when you stop a moment and say, well, what happened in the space between the angel saying go and then the angel down there saying, okay, time to go back home. And I'm grateful that God gave Joseph an angel on both sides of that. I'm a little jealous. And then I remember that we have been given direction. We have been given some very clear direction. And for me, coming to the end of the year, you know, we've been discussing... Um, the future of LWF and just the, the, the vision of what God is putting in us and how it's supposed to work. And I remember, you know, back in 2013, in January, I was up on a rooftop in Bernie, Texas, and I had just met this guy a few weeks, a few months before, and we're sitting on the roof and he's explaining to me how he's from Colorado and he wants to go back and plant a church in Colorado. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, that's a, that's a, he's very passionate about this. That's a nice dream, you know? Not realizing how deeply it was going to impact me in the next couple of months that I was going to then be moving to Colorado. And so what has been interesting now when I look back over the history is in 2013, that spring and summer, I became convinced that God wanted us to move to Colorado. Now, it wasn't an angel of the Lord. I had a loving wife who supported me in this and stood with me. She wasn't hearing words from the Lord. She was just saying, well, God has called you to be a pastor. God has called you to preach. Colorado, Peru, Switzerland, doesn't really matter. I'll follow you wherever you go. And so that was her side of it. My side was, I felt God was really, there were a few moments, defining moments, where I really felt God answer the prayer and say, this is the place for you. And, you know, I've shared some of these with you before. The one morning in particular when I was wrestling in prayer and I was driving an hour to meet with the pastors and as I'm going there, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, 
what I need from you is a word from one of the pastors here, specifically saying, Joseph, you need to go. I need you to put that, and I'm like, I don't ever want to give that word to someone else, but I want you to give that. And so I get there to the meeting, to breakfast, and Little Bear isn't there. And I know the other pastors, and I'm thinking the only pastor that's rash and brash enough to actually say that is Little Bear. So I'm like, well, I'm not getting that word today, so I don't know what this means. And so we're there, and we're there for about 20 minutes, and Little Bear calls and says, put me on speakerphone, and he says it. And I'm like, okay, Lord. And so for me, that was a pretty clear moment where I was praying and telling God and communicating, and then he responded. Well, so then, you know, we come and Living Water Fellowship starts. I remember the first five families and how we, we were moving along. And then after a number of years, you know, when, when Pastor Ernie was stepping down, well, now I'm going back to the Lord and saying, okay, I need another word from you. And so there was a moment when I was driving on 58 out toward around Golden out there where I was praying and I felt like I received from God that thing that I needed, the word that I needed, a long-term vision and a long-term confirmation. And so then we go on and now we arrive here, 20, 2019, 2000, you know, 2020 is coming up. And I'm, again, I'm saying, okay, Lord, what is it you want? And so you see that I don't, always, every morning, ask the question for the huge pieces. But when I get a word for it, then I walk in that word for quite a while. And that's the part what I was calling the boring obedience or the space in between. And the boring obedience means, it doesn't mean that it's actually always boring. When I think of Joseph going into Egypt and taking Mary and Jesus, you know, going down there, and I don't even know how old baby Jesus was by this time, because of Herod saying two years and under, he could have been, you know, toddling around already at this point. He could have, you know, and, and I personally, I think he probably was. I don't know exactly the dates. We're not given some of this information. Some of the information that are extra biblical sources aren't truly helpful. Like the, there's an extra biblical one where the story is that on the way down to Egypt, they were sitting in the desert somewhere, like a, you know, an oasis or whatever, resting. And baby Jesus basically used his power to make a palm tree bend over to give shade to his mother, Mary. And you're like, okay. Okay. That's why it's extra biblical. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. And so the, and I'm like, you know, the people and, and what I, from my understanding, the, the Coptic Christians in I Egypt are much more likely to tell these stories to their children than we ever would. We were like, well, I want to make sure I tell the actual, true, verifiable stories and not some of these other things. Because you know what I got, the picture I got, I saw this little baby Yoda like <laughs> forcing the tree to bend over with the force, you know? And I'm like, okay. No, that doesn't quite fit with my understanding of Jesus, right? However, that's the story that's out there. So, so we want the actual real stories of what actually happened, but when we ask for the actual real stories, we get the mountaintops, and we don't see the in-betweens. We see the apostles in the upper room. We see them all gathering back together again a number of years later to discuss what about the gospel to the Gentiles? And Paul is there and Peter is there and there's a huge discussion. We call it the Jerusalem 
like the council in Jerusalem. So we have these high points, but in between those times, every, you know, for the rest of Mary's life, she went to bed, probably interrupted by children waking up in the middle of the night, and then she woke up again in the morning, and then she did whatever her daily routine was for the rest of her life. And then she had some major grief, 33 years when Jesus was, was, was crucified, she went through some major grief and things. And then she went on for the rest of her life, going to bed, getting up, living for God. And we don't actually know what she did for the rest of her life. When we read about the apostles, we see Peter and John, and we see them preaching and healing the men in the temple. We see all of these things happening, and we see Paul showing up on the scene, and we see him doing all these things, and we see, we see that Paul is ascribed unusual miracles. And so there's the usual miracles, and then there's the unusual miracles, and we get to read about those, but then there are all the, like the, the, uh, there at the end of Acts, and for the next two years, he rented a house, and people came and saw him. And for two years, Paul lived a boring life. And yet in that time, he was still obedient day after day after day. And so this is the part that I'm looking at as I'm looking out at 2020. And, you know, frankly, right now, I'm looking at some of the, there are a few projects on the horizon for me that um, I thought would already be done and they're still not done. And so now I'm scared of them. And I'm looking at them going, I don't know how we're ever going to do this. I, yeah, I, I just don't know. Can we just cancel these? Start over with a new slate? Can we do something, you know? And so there is, there is something exhilarating and exciting about starting something new. And there's something hard about finishing the battle on something that is already in existence. So I wanted to look at a few issues with obedience that when I read this, I thought about. First of all, when God gives us a word, it can be a very simple word, go to Egypt. Okay, I understand what that means. However, it can be complicated to finish it, to actually do it. Sometimes obedience is just quite complicated, but that is not a good enough reason to not do it. We still have to obey. We got the word, now we have to figure out how. How do we go to Egypt? It's hard. Obedience is often hard. Now, it doesn't negate the fact that we also have joy when we are obeying. There are some times when I am obeying and I'm doing the thing, and it's hard, but I'm doing it in the, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I love it. I'm so glad to be doing it because I had a clear word. I know that I'm doing the right thing, but it's still hard. There is a And the one I already mentioned, the fact that it can be boring. This was, I think, one of the biggest shocks for me. Having the, the vision and the calling of being a, you know, even when I was a traveling chalk artist evangelist, being a pastor, all of those callings, being a filmmaker, those were all specific callings that I had in my life at some time where I'm praying and I'm receiving something from God. And I think, wow, God has called me to that. I can't wait until I'm doing that. And then when I started doing it, like when I'm doing film, I love film-related projects. I love them. But do you know that I have to get up every morning and work at them? Like every single day? They don't just do themselves. And at the end, I love pushing play, sitting back, watching it roll, and 
letting other people see it and appreciate it and be moved to laughter or tears or whatever. I love that moment when the work is done, but in order to get to that moment, it means day after day after day after day after day, the boring bits. But now here's one other thing. This is the perfect story. This piece of obedience that often happens to us is something that we don't totally, we don't always think this out loud. We don't always say this out loud. But if I look at this story, all those babies in, in Bethlehem were killed because of Jesus. It is very possible that if you're Joseph and Mary and you're hearing about this, that you can say to God, look, you told us to do these things, but now look what happened. Other people are hurt by it. And this is something that when you're being called to obedience, whether you're reading the word of God or whether you're receiving something from God in prayer, one of the things that can happen is you can say, wow, but if I do that, it's gonna hurt other people. And you can say, oh, my obedience, if I obey God in this way, then, because I've heard people say, I, you know, I had a friend who we prayed together for many years and one time he, we were in a, and, and he just said, you know, I know God has called me, but I don't want to obey because I know it's gonna be a lonely path. And he was weeping and then he ended up leaving the, the daily walk of faith and going out in the world and doing all kinds of other things. And I don't know where he is today with his walk with God. But at that moment, he looked at obedience to God and said, it's gonna hurt me. And I think we can do it that way. You know, it's a lie. When we are obeying God, he walks with us. Even when we are alone, we're not alone. And here is, here is, here is this story. And I think if, what if Joseph and Mary would have taken it on themselves and said, wow, look at all this, you know, and now they feel guilty. And what do you do with the guilt of all these children? And the reality is that this is also a lie. When you obey God, you might feel like you're gonna trigger events that will hurt someone else. But in the long run, when you obey God, you're becoming a channel of his mercy and of his grace and of his justice into every scenario that you're walking into. And yes, people will get hurt, but I wanna tell you something. People are gonna get hurt regardless of whether you obey or not. King Herod was going to be a wicked king no matter what Joseph and Mary did. Their obedience or disobedience would not have changed his behavior. What it would have changed is if they had in some way said, you know, that's too hard, I'm staying here, we would have lost the story. And God is about stories. He loves the stories. And so he's giving us the account. And so he has his child go down into Egypt and then he can say, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And so God is at work redeeming and using something way bigger. And, but I just wanted to warn you that there are times when you will sit there and you'll be looking at scripture or you'll be looking at what you think you heard from God and you'll be saying, wow, if I do that, I'm gonna hurt so many people. And I'm going to challenge you on that and say, you know what? Get some counsel from around you, from pe you know, people who love God, hear from them, but don't be afraid to be obedient because people will be hurt regardless of whether you're obedient or not. And you will be blessed if you are obedient. You have to be sure of your source and then you obey.
So these were some things that I've been thinking about as I look at, at Living Water Fellowship, about my own life. I'm thinking, okay, what does obedience look like? What is, what is it that God is calling to us to do in this season? Because it, it, in the time, in the six and a half years we've been here, I haven't felt that there was ever a time when the vision changed dramatically. I feel like the vision that God has been growing continues here. Um, if you, you know, our verse in Acts 2.42 I have felt like, uh, at first, I didn't, I didn't use this verse for a while, but then we, we, for the last number of years, we've been discussing our vision using this verse. Acts 2.42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. Some of the translations say they devoted themselves to these things. And so I feel like our vision and our calling is continuous, that we have been called to make disciples, that when we gather together, this time is for us to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so we come together, we pray for each other, we read the word of God, we speak the word of God, we have fellowship together, we have communion together, and I believe this is fulfilling what God is calling all of his people to be doing all around the world. Next Sunday, we're going to be having communion. And I have often thought about the, you know, the world, you know, 2,000 years of history. There have been people who loved God, who have, some of them have died for the faith, and many of them have stood there and they have taken communion. And so I always imagine myself standing there taking communion. And it's not just me. There's this whole cloud of witnesses that stretches back 2,000 years to the Last Supper. And I see all of these people and it's like we're in unison taking the cup together. That's the, the picture that I imagine. Well, other people imagine these kind of pictures too. Like um, Dr. Tim Cassie, he was writing and he's talking about how, you know, when the sun rises on Easter Sunday, and it, you start praising, you say, he is risen, he is risen, and he was actually uh, over somewhere in the Middle East on Easter Sunday this year, so he was thinking about how the Christians on the farther that way had already been saying it and how it travels around the world to where for 24 hours, the church of Jesus Christ is saying, he is risen, he is risen indeed all around the globe. That's what's being said. So it's this awesome moment to think about that. Then I was listening to Francis Chan and he was talking about this div being devoted to, to communion out of the verse that I just, uh, Acts 2.42. And so he kind of said the same thing about you know, the body of Christ around the world, but he took it one more step. He said, you know, when we come together, a lot of times we think of ourselves as going to, and we're going to go do this. We're going to have communion. We're going to worship. We're going to a service. And he said, we should change our expectation. And the way we think about it is that we're now going to join in. So he said, you know, for the past 24 hours, the angels in the throne room have been worshiping Jesus. And so when we come into his presence, it's not that we're starting something new. It's already going. It's already happening, and we're just kind of stepping into the back. Not that we're sneaking in, because we have every right to be there. We are his children. But we are coming into the back, and we're worshiping him, and we're just continuing on. And so anytime that we come together, we're not starting something new. We're not starting a new service. We're just joining the existing service that's already happening in heaven and around the world. 
So I like that, that picture, that image of that, you know, when we come together, when we gather together, it's not just that we're, you know, because we can look at getting together for church multiple ways and say, well, I'm doing it out of obedience. Or, you know, some of us say, well, I'm doing it because of love and fellowship. And we have multiple reasons why we come together. Uh, sometimes we say, well, I'm coming because I don't want to know, I don't, uh, people will talk if I don't, you know. So you, you have many reasons why you might show up on a Sunday morning, right? However, the real picture of it is, is we are coming together, we're joining with the worship that is ongoing in the throne room of God. And so that's a beautiful, beautiful thought. So when I think of obedience, the boring obedience, the parts in between, and I can envision it, you know, this is not just me. This is everyone. This is Martin Luther. This is every person that has ever submitted to Christ at any time. They had their, high, their moment of surrendering to Jesus, and then they had many days of walking in obedience to God. And so every day that I'm walking in obedience to God, I am joining with this massive cloud of witnesses walking in obedience to God. And for me, that takes some of the boringness out of the obedience. The space between becomes more exciting as I imagine that I'm walking together with the great cloud of witnesses and we're all together obeying the word of God. We're all together making disciples. We're all together bringing praise to his name. This is what we're doing all together. When I look back over the past number of years, the six and a half years that we've been meeting, and I think of all the faces that are here, you know, like the Wilson family, they are now in Arkansas. We know that they found a good church. They're, in, they're enjoying fellowship in Arkansas where they moved. And when I think of that, you know, a, a year ago, this time, they were here. You know, we, we visibly here because I can't think of her name right now. Natasha was playing the keyboard and we, and we enjoyed the, the fellowship that, was, uh, that we had with them, but now they're fellowshipping there. The thing is, when we see the Wilsons again, they're not strangers. It's just like with you guys, when you came in, you're not strangers to us. We know you, we love you, we're part of the body of Christ. And so this is the beautiful part of the vision. If I think I'm here because nowhere else in the world is anyone worshiping Jesus right, then I have a real problem because then we better get this right. And we better have, we say the right words and do the right things and have the right attitude because no one else is doing it right, so we've got to do it right. But if I understand that all around the world, there are God's people and they're worshiping him and they're, they are moving forward into the new year, taking the message of the gospel wherever they go, that's beautiful. And then I'm able to be not just encouraged by us, but encouraged by all of us and what God is doing. And, you know, we had talked about, I think this was a year ago, when I brought the little pictures of success cards. I think that was a year ago, sometime. And I just wanted to remind us again what I had put on here saying, what is enough? Because as you know, um, if you're a visionary, you might have so many things you think you want to do and you can't get them all done. Um, if you're not a visionary, you might just, you might have a simple question. I just need to know what I'm supposed to be doing so that I know when I have done well. And so for me, this was kind of my spiritual enough statement. So I know what is it that my daily boring Christian life should look like? And I'm still calling it boring, sorry. <laughs> but for me, one of the things that I found absolutely vital is that I am in the word of God on a daily basis. That I'm reading the scriptures. That's part of a picture of success for me. Praying for family and friends daily. 
this is for me a very important one because if I'm not praying for family and friends, um, then I'm probably fussing at family and friends. If I was a pastor, if I was not a pastor, I might be cussing, but I'm just fussing, right? So I have, I, I have this, you know, this, there's a negativity that you can come up with and be like, yeah, 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 did you hear what, no, 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 all this stuff. We need to be praying for each other. And so, and then the number three, and there are still a few copies of this over there if anyone doesn't, wants one. The third thing on just a picture of success is intentionally having conversations about Jesus with those around me. And then number four was to pursue and maintain Paul, Silas, and Timothy relationships. So do you on purpose have relationships with people who are ahead of you in the faith? So you're Timothy, they're Paul. Do you on purpose have relationships with people who are pretty much in the same place you are in your faith, like Paul and Silas going out together? Do you on purpose be Paul and have a Timothy in your life that you're on purpose reaching back and saying, let me help you along the trail? Because if you're intentionally doing those three things, and that's all you ever do in your life. It'll keep you busy. It's obedience to scripture of making disciples and fellowship. And it will really, really bless you. And it's part of success. And it's not that hard. If you don't, if, if, as long as you don't make a program out of it. If you make a program out of it and say, I've got to meet with this many people this week and this many people next week, then after a while you're going to die and it's not going to work well, okay? You need to just say, I need to have relationships with people who are ahead of me in the faith, people who are with me right on the same level in the faith, people who are coming up behind me in the faith. So I call those Paul, Silas, and Timothy relationships. And then, you know, as far as our family goes, we need to be aware of how family and friends are doing in their faith walk. This means taking enough time to have some eyeball time, look in someone else's eyes and say, how are you really doing? And if you know that they've gone through a struggle recently, say, how are you doing with that? And just wait and listen and see how people are doing. I was so grateful for this Christmas of being so much, we were less hurried in many ways. And so we, had, we were able to have Katie and Riley with us and just the time we had to converse and talk about things, it was really good. It's good for me to know how people who are related to me are doing. Because sometimes we walk through hard times and it's good to follow up and say, how are you doing? Like I have several friends who lost their, their mother recently. Um, and it's good to, on holidays and other times, say, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Because they really feel the loss of their loved ones around the holidays a lot. So it's just good to have that. And then one other thing that I think is kind of like the little cherry on top, when we're, when we're reading the scriptures and we're praying, and we're having intentional conversations, we're maintaining the discipleship relationships, we're aware of how people around us are doing. The one other thing that I think is good is to say, okay, Lord, I want to be, excuse me, I want to be obedient to you. I want to do something. I want to be involved with something that is way bigger than I am. And so this is where in we, we get involved with a mission. We get involved with something that's going on and we do something that's bigger than ourselves, attempt something greater than ourselves. And this doesn't have to be leading it. It just means doing something that takes you a little bit out of your comfort zone, a little bit doing something. And because if you do all of this for the rest of your life, you'll be so busy with kingdom work. And if you're always saying, Lord, what greater call do you have for me? Is there something that you want me to go do? You will be involved. You will be part of the body of Christ. You will see the story that God is writing into people's lives around you. And you will be encouraged. And the boring bits won't be as boring because God will be walking with you. The space in between 
Instead of you sitting, getting a word from God and then sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting until finally three and a half years later you get another word. No, you will get the word and you will be so busy doing life for Jesus and living with him and interacting with people around you that when you, you kind of come up on the other side, you're like, whoa, wow, that was a good swim. And then you come out and you're like, oh, next word right here. And you keep going and suddenly the space in between doesn't feel like waiting or being a space. It's just a continuation of, Lord, what's going on in the people around me? You, you will be walking with him. And that is success. And it's not, as, it's not that you have to go to a certain country and be a missionary. You might, but it's not, that's not the necessary part. It's not that you have to accomplish a certain mission here. You may be called to that, but it's not necessary. What is necessary is that every part of your life has just the boring bits built in so that you are ready for this next season of your life. So as we, as we look at the end of the year coming up, I just want you to take this with you and to think about that and say, okay, obedience might be complicated. It might be hard. It might be boring. I might believe the lie that it's going to hurt someone else if I obey God. But I'm telling you, faith equals obedience. When you look at it, I'm going to read this Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to think about this. Every one of these people that we mention here in this chapter had their high moments with God, but they lived a lifetime. And we don't know what all happened in between, but they were somehow faithful enough that when God showed up, he could talk to them. And so they were in the boring bits, they were being faithful so that when God came to speak to them, they were ready to receive it. They acted in faith and they were obedient. And then they lived the boring bits until they died. And so this is for us. Yes, these are the, the things that are mentioned are the kind of the high points, but they also represent an entire life. So just every one of these, as we come across them, I'm not going to expound on them, but you know many of their stories. Think about them. Think about the obedience and then apply this to your own life and say, well, where are my high points? And am I, am I slogging along? Because even the slogging along in obedience brings glory to God and prepares our hearts to hear his voice when he needs to speak to someone. Let's read Hebrews 11, uh, verse, starting in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous of became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith by faith abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going 
By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the kingdom of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. 
Let's read the next two verses as well. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are also, we have received the promise. We are of those who look for a kingdom. We're looking for a city. We have been here. We've seen the kingdoms of the earth. We've seen socialism and communism and, and all of the other isms. We've seen all the ways that countries work. And we say, I'm looking for a kingdom. We're not satisfied here. And because we're looking for a kingdom, we are willing along with all of these to say by faith, I will obey. And so the boring obedience, the, the space in between will be filled with us reading the word of God and saying, how does this apply to me today? How does this apply to me this month, this year? How does this apply to my family now? And we're going to continue to do that until we see Jesus, whether through our death or his coming, we will continue to be obedient because we seek that city and by faith we're living and while the world around us might look at us and say, why do you persist in all this boring stuff you're doing? We say, actually, I am living for the kingdom. And while there are boring bits in the middle of this, I find joy because I am obeying a word that is greater than mine. And I'm part of something that is more than mine. And as such, we will also be successful. And we will also have in us the, the witness that by faith we have overcome. We might not overcome mouths of lions. We might have other things. There might be housework. There might be just the daily routine, but we will overcome because by faith we are obeying. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that you've given us your word, that you have not left us alone. Thank you that you are not ashamed to be our God. Thank you that you're not ashamed that Jesus is not ashamed to be our brother. Lord, we need that. We need that fellowship with you, to know you and to walk in obedience to you. So Father, I pray that as we are coming away from Christmas and spending time with family and spending time with friends, that we would now look forward into this year and that we would embrace this next season and that we would learn to rejoice in the days that are boring that we would learn to rejoice in the days that are just constant and consistent, doing the same things over and over again. Oh, Father, we need you in our process, in our day, in the space in between. Lord, you, you speak to us at times, and we're so grateful for that. But we want to experience you in the in-between spaces. So we thank you for giving us the seasons. We thank you for this coming season, Father, for us as families, for us as individuals, for us as a fellowship. We love you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.